You are listening to the Empower You podcast. Empower You plans to share students' stories, resources, and advice pertaining to higher education and success. We believe that people's stories have the potential to inspire and change the world. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's Empower You podcast. On this week's episode, we have Kimberly Collins. Kimberly Collins is a senior at Brown University studying public policy and Africana studies. She is from New Rochelle, New York. At Brown University, Kimberly is a social innovation fellow and co-founder of Brown Votes, a student-led voting organization. She is also the current president for the College Democrats of Rhode Island and a national council secretary for the College Democrats of America, where she oversees the organization's 47 state federations. Additionally, Kimberly furthered her passion for women's advocacy by founding and co-hosting the podcast Heart to Heart, the lived experiences of two young Black women. She used uses the podcast to discuss women's issues, political events, and personal stories through a Black feminist lens. This is an episode you do not want to miss. Hey Kim, thank you so much for being on the Empower You podcast. We are really excited to have you on board. And to start off, we'd love for you to introduce yourself and maybe speak about some of your passions and some of the things that you've been able to do. Guys, Kim is an incredible friend of mine and I'm really, really glad that she's finally on this podcast. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much, Elvia, for inviting me to be on. Just to introduce myself briefly, my name is Kim Collins. I'm from New Rochelle, New York. I'm currently a senior at Brown studying public policy and Africana studies. And my concentrations really describe a lot of my interests. I'm really passionate um, about law and about policy, particularly as they intersect with race and gender. I've also done a lot of work um, thinking about criminal justice reform, the reimagining of the criminal justice system. Um, And I also have my own podcast um, where I talk about Black women and girls and how we can uplift and support them. So a lot of my work has revolved around that. I've also done other things with civic engagement on campus, um, such as co-founding an organization called Brown Votes. And I also do some work um, with College Democrats of America and some of the College Democrats chapters within Rhode Island and at Brown. Thank you so much. Those are all such incredibly inspiring things. And I, I kind of just want to start from the beginning, you know, how would you describe your experience at Brown so far, whether you want to go into it, maybe socially, academically, some of the experiences that you think have really cultivated and have molded and shaped who you are as a person right now? Yeah, I think Brown has overall been a really exciting and life-changing experience. I think these past three years, I have learned so much just about myself, who I am as a student, what really guides some of my interests and my passions. I think Brown has been an amazing place for me to really explore my academic interests and really hone in on what it is that I really care about and what it is I want to do with my future. So, you know, I started off Brown really as like an economics major, thinking I was going to do business and that kind of shifted over time. Um, And I'm just really happy that I was able to utilize the OBA curriculum and other resources at Brown that really helped me guide my path and figure out what I liked. I think also from a non-academic lens, Brown has been really great about being involved in the community. So I think it was really here at Brown that I became 
really involved in um, just community work, um, civic engagement work. Um, and I also felt like Brown through like the Swearer Center and other different programs gave me the experience to do that. Um, on a personal level, I think Brown has had so many highs and lows, which I think a lot of people often talk about. Um, definitely so many moments where I'm so happy and I could never imagine myself um, being in some of the positions I've been in, getting to go on certain trips or, you know, talk to certain professors. I never thought that I would have those experiences. Um, but then there also has definitely been low moments of dealing with imposter syndrome or even just going through the struggles of you know, having a really rigorous academic load and also trying to manage relationships and, you know, other outside activities that has been really difficult. Um, and I think we have also been going through Brown during a global pandemic. So even that interruption to our education, I think has really shifted things and created some instability that I never think we would have imagined or accounted for. So, you know, overall, I think it's definitely been a lot of highs and lows, but I really couldn't picture myself anywhere else but Brown. I'm so glad to hear that. And I, I know you mentioned, you know, different facets, whether they're good and bad. And I'd like to dive into maybe some of those adversities that you faced. I, I think that's very important to speak about, especially as, you know, females of color. There are so many yes. other things and other barriers that we have to overcome. And, mm -hmm. you know, would you be able to kind of discuss maybe what were some of those adversities early on when you first arrived to Brown? How did you navigate and ultimately overcome them? And maybe what were some things that you learned from them and some things that you would like to share with our audience members? Sure. So I think there were a couple different things. Number one, coming into Brown. So I went to public high school um, and I was always in public school education all of my life so I think coming into Brown I felt very intimidated um, since just a lot of my friends a lot of other people seem to come from private educations or go to boarding school so I think you know that was initially pretty intimidating um, I think also too there's like a lot of class differences at Brown um, Brown is I think the Ivy League with like I don't know, the highest number of people in like the top 10% or whatever the statistic is. Um, so that was like a huge culture shock for me and very different. Um, and, you know, I think just in terms of the social settings and also within the classroom, sometimes those things are just very prevalent and they um, come out. And so I think it was learning to be comfortable with like my background and my circumstances that kind of took some getting used to. Um, also to again dealing with imposter syndrome is really hard so kind of also being in this place of feeling like well I didn't have these same opportunities as some of my other peers so do I deserve to be here kind of grappling with some of that I think in the beginning was hard um, and I think that definitely affected like how I participate in the classroom kind of how I felt comfortable like approaching professors or even like working in group projects or group settings um, and I think naturally over time I just had to be comfortable with my skill set um, and I think over time, anyone is going to realize that like you are meant to be here. It is not a mistake that you are at these schools and at these universities. Um, and that was really important for me to understand. And I think, you know, I gave myself a lot of grace, especially during my like freshman and beginning of sophomore year to just kind of go through that, to experience that and to really feel everything so that I could understand why I was feeling the way I was and how I could overcome that. And I think between like my amazing parents, meeting amazing friends like Elvia, you know, it really made me feel comfortable um, just with my own skills and my own abilities. And it became a lot e easier to navigate Brown and then also realize that I can function as a leader at Brown. I could, you know, also help and inspire other people at Brown. So it's really nice to know that that 
that development happened because I think at first you don't know if that's going to happen and it's, it's really scary looking ahead and thinking about what the future can hold and if you're ever going to get there but I promise you will um, so I think those have been some other some challenges um, I will also say unfortunately I also have experienced like incidents of sexism or racism um and you know i think that is not something that's unique to brown right like that could happen just in the real world like in general um but it was unfortunate that i did have to deal with some of those circumstances while i was at brown and i will say however that um, i did feel supported by um people within the institution that i um you know, spoke and told those instances too. And, you know, we were able to work through those situations. So I'm really happy that I was given support to work through that. Um, but it, it definitely was unfortunate that that those things had to happen. Yeah, first off, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. I've also had um, similar experiences, you know, some, some of those negative experiences that I often try not to really talk about too much, but I, I think it's important for students to know that at least for people of color, it's not going to be easy, but it's definitely going to be worth it. And ultimately, we are paving the path for other students like us to have these opportunities and to also be able to improve the quality of their lives through education. So very, you know, very powerful things that we are doing by just being in this yeah. in these institutions and like you definitely. creating this change by you know, starting your podcast and also creating incredible initiatives like Brown Votes and, you know, speaking on on those kind of things. I, I'd love to shift over the conversation to to focus on that that podcast, if you don't mind, you know, like I, I'd love to hear more about where did the inspiration come from? I know we were all in a global pandemic and you had this urge to really make a difference. And I, I think right now we can really strongly say that it's made such a huge impact all around the world. I know you've had an incredible reach. And so maybe just speaking more about that as well would be really helpful. Yeah, sure. So um, June of 2020, I decided to start a podcast um, with one of my best friends who I went to high school with, and now she's at the University of Pennsylvania. So we kind of had this similar experience of going through high school together, being in predominantly white spaces, and now also being at PWIs as Black women. So our podcast is called Heart to Heart, The Lived Experiences of Two Young Black Women. And really the aim here was number one, to bring a new perspective, not only into the podcast space, but into the general like lifestyle space, the general social media space of actually having perspectives of black women be heard. A lot of times um, the podcast industry and just different social media spaces is really dominated um, by white people, white women. And we really thought it was important, especially in this age of like racial reckoning when people are actually um, receptive to like understanding what the Black Lives Matter movement means, thinking about intersectionality, that we have some of these voices and perspectives within the conversation, within the discourse. And so how we decided to really tackle that was number one, kind of introducing ourselves as people, sharing the experiences that we dealt with in high school that at the time we couldn't really speak about. You know, four or five years ago, it was a lot harder to bring up issues of race, issues of gender, like misogynoir. It was really hard to bring those things up and like actually have that hold weight um, because people really were not open to having those conversations so we thought it'd be really important to do that and you know again it's not like we wanted to expose people and you know we we told we tell our stories in a way that you know is not giving details but is ultimately really having people understand the premise of what we went through and what we experienced and you know how we got to where we are today 
Um, so we tell those personal stories, but then we also talk about larger narratives of, um, you know, the, the Me Too movement and how that hasn't been inclusive of Black women or other different circumstances um, that are happening. We did a lot of um, episodes revolving around the election and what the stakes are for, you know, Black people and, you know, should we vote, should we not vote? Just having that discourse and those conversations, but kind of putting a Black feminist lens to them so people could understand how we're thinking about a lot of the issues that are happening on a day-to-day. And, you know, we've been so lucky to have such a wide reach and, you know, really to be able to share our podcasts with people from over 35 different countries. Like, it's just unimaginable um, that we would have this reach, that we would, you know, get so far. But I'm really so grateful for everybody who listens, for your support, Elvia, um, because it really has meant the world to know that people are open to listening to our voices. That was one of the scariest parts about starting it was, are people going to listen? Are people going to care? Um, and it really means a lot that now, a whole year later, people are still listening. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just hearing that story because I, I think it's so important for people to know that, you know, there are people who care. And despite all of the negative things that we have endured these past few years, um, stories like yours do matter. And it's just so important to take hold of your narrative and be proud of it and also showcase it and use it to help others who are maybe experiencing the same things or in your case wanting to learn as well as also resonate with these stories that you said like you said are very very underrepresented you know I I know in all social media forms in all um, aspects of the world I, I think we need more stories like yours more stories like more stories related to you know people of color and how they're navigating towards this world um, so overall very inspiring and, and thank, thank you for you. sharing yeah and for our audience members we're gonna have the links down below um so Kim if, if that would be good for you we'd love to, yeah. to make sure that more you know more and more people are, be, are able to listen in on your story thank you I, I really appreciate that and I'll also say you know it is meant to be an educational tool for you know people who don't identify as women of color to listen but also to it like you said it really is also a space safe space for women of color to feel like okay somebody has a similar experience to me so i appreciate you sharing it um and supporting it it, it really means the world to us thank you so much of course yeah it's, it's the least I, I can do um you really inspire me and i i know you've also worked on other initiatives like brown goats i i would love to hear that as well and for anyone listening who doesn't know what it is just to give you a small little snippet brown votes is a new student-led initiative supported by the source center dedicated to improving civic engagement at Brown University. And Kim, you can feel free to add on. I know you co-founded it as well, which I I think is amazing and very much needed these past few years for our election. So I, I know you did a lot of incredible work for our world and our society. Thank you. So I'll first start and say that um, I co-founded Brown Votes with Madison Mandel, who is another fellow student here at Brown. Um, And, you know, together we really tried to fill something that we thought was missing within the Brown space, which was just a coalition that was bringing together a lot of different stakeholders to make sure that Brown University was doing its Part to really support students in making sure that they vote um, and also the wider Providence community. So what that really in-
entailed is, you know, working with the university to make sure that we had different voter registration materials available to students. Um, I'll also say Brown Votes was founded in the summer of 2020. So we were entering a completely remote semester with the November 2020 election pending. So it really also entailed now figuring, figuring out ways to do digital organizing, um, to have people understand how to like mail in absentee ballots, um, you know, how they can vote safely in person with the pandemic. Um, and so it was a lot of resource sharing. We built a website, um, we created infographics that were shared around social media. We ended up working with over a hundred Brown students um, at some point that semester, um, whether it was through some of our social media creation or also working with different other clubs and organizations on campus to make sure people were voting. Um, we created a voting competition with different athletic teams to try to turn out the vote. So we really <laughs> tried to exhaust every resource and different communities at Brown to bring people together and also just kind of make it a normality that people vote, that people are aware of local politics. They are aware of what they're voting for and who they're voting for. And, you know, it definitely was a lot of work. Um, I think when creating any organization or any entity, as Elvia, I'm sure you know, it's <laughs> a lot of resource gather gathering, doing your research, making sure that you're creating a model that is sustainable, that is going to work. And I'll definitely say that over the course of um, the existence of Brown Votes, we've definitely had our, you know, ups and downs of trying to figure out what works, how we can best support um, our amazing committee leaders at like, are really the foundation of the organization um you know learning how we can work collaboratively with all these different students who are also dealing with their own personal you know um circumstances and you know i'll say that i'm really excited we're gonna see the results soon of um how many brown students ended up turning out in the election we should get the data in a few weeks we're really hoping that it increased because brown's uh, turnout rate hasn't been the best um but you know we're really hoping that we could get as close to 100 percent as possible and i do think that um we definitely did a lot of mobilizing this past fall and have really tried to now focus our efforts on advocacy um, whether that's looking at different um, voting restrictions right here in Rhode Island through the Let Rhode Island Vote Act, um, working with other local organizations, working with NAACP Legal Defense Fund, um, just really doing what we can to make sure that people are still thinking about this issue and knowing that um, voting and civic engagement does not end when the election does. That is so true and very inspiring. And I, I think overall that was so much needed. And like you said, it is building an organization from scratch and that takes so many you know, resources, so much time and so much help from everybody. And for me, you know, that ultimately is you are being an entrepreneur and, and building something from scratch, which I think is really amazing and cool. And my my biggest question to you is, you know, what were some of the challenges that you were facing when you were building brown votes and like you mentioned there were some things that worked and some things that didn't work and how were you able to kind of um i guess have a really effective form of scaling and kind of thinking about how you wanted to scale this program early on so you would be able to save as much time as possible because you did have that deadline to meet when you you know first started in the summer i, I imagine yeah so I think one of the major challenges has also always been the structure. So when we started Brown Votes, we had done about 30 to 40 hours of research just talking with 
other peer institutions about their voting coalitions because the, also the thing was um, at like Harvard, Yale, all these other institutions, they already had like some kind of coalition or some kind of collaborative group that was working with the administration and students and faculty members to do voting and Brown really didn't have that. So once we discovered Brown didn't have that, we tried to figure out, okay, well, what's a model that makes sense that would fit our community and like, how can we create that? So I think it was a lot of time thinking about the structure and the structure that we started with has significantly shifted from what we have now. So we originally wanted to have like four or five different committees, one of them specifically dealing with a lot of different COVID-19 voting restrictions. Um, that committee has been disbanded just because now our priorities have shifted. Also as well, um, you know, even thinking about the committee leaders. So we will have two individuals that lead each committee. We're even thinking about how that might shift or might or may change. Um, so kind of as we think about like sustainability, that has been something that has shifted. I think also as well, when we started the organization, we were super ambitious and wanted to do a really wide swath of different like activities, whether it was, you know, have different like, um, like sessions where we train people on how they could register um, different members of their organization. We were again having an entire communications team who was like pushing out information, making infographics. We had individuals like researching, doing like op-eds and that is great. And like that work has to some degree still continued and happened um, throughout the course of the existence of our organization. But also the reality is like, we have volunteers doing this work. And so sometimes like we can't always push out as much work or as much product as we want because students have other obligations very understandably. Um, and so, you know, it's definitely thinking about, okay, so if we are to get two or three major things accomplished, what would they be? And I think we've always tried to respect the time of all of our volunteers and everyone who's doing this work um, because we want to make sure that they also don't feel like you know they are being worked so hard um, and you know one thing that Madison and I have really are working towards is trying to make sure that a lot of the leadership positions within the organization are paid we think it's really important that um, more public service work, more civic engagement work becomes more accessible. And I think making it more accessible is making sure that people are paid. And I think a lot of reasons also why some of the public service spaces can lack diversity and lack people of color is because the reality is a lot of students who engage in outside activities may need to be paid or funded. And so we really want to make it a priority to make sure that we're kind of holding ourselves to that and making sure that we're having those positions to be paid so that we can have more people who traditionally do not have time to be in the space because they need to be working an on-campus job or doing something else where they're making money. We want to make sure that they can still be a part of Brown Votes. Um, so as Madison and myself are transitioning out of leadership in the organization this fall, that is one thing that we are really trying to push forward, um, as well as just making sure we standardize some other things um, working with the universities. So definitely still a lot ahead, a lot of shifting and changing ahead. Um, you know, again, I'm sure this is very similar, Elvia, to empower you and just, yes, yeah. you know, making sure that it's sustainable and lasts. Um, so yeah, hopefully that wasn't too vague, but a lot of organizational shifts and changes has really been the core of um, the challenges that we've, that we've faced.
Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Kim. I, I think that's very helpful, you know, for anyone out there who wants to make a difference, who wants to start an organization. It's very important to be open-minded, you know, to be open mm-hmm. to change, to know that it's going to take so much work to get to where you are and to be able to make that impact. But ultimately, it is worth it. And I, I completely resonate, you know, with everything you said, specifically about talking, you know, towards public service and how it's not necessarily paid as well as it should be. I remember when I was um, interning at ACLU the summer before coming to Brown, it was actually not paid. So many of their internships were not paid at all. And you you could see that because, you know, there was a lack of diversity and ACLU works very closely with diverse communities and it works with um, issues that are, you know, hit hit very close to home for many POC low-income students. And so I, I think that's why it's important for us to um, work towards making sure that the public service is paid very well. And I know you're you're doing so much already, you know, by by just um, taking on brand votes and, and ensuring that the people in leadership positions are being paid or, or just the fact that you are respecting their time. And I, I think that speaks tremendously, you know, of who you are as a person and also what the organization stands for. But ultimately, I just wanted to point that out because that also really resonates deep, deeply with me. I'm sure many people in Brown and in, you know, in college right now do want to pursue public service but if they're not necessarily getting compensated as much as they need to you know for their family or for their communities then that is not feasible and that ultimately does not serve as a possibility unfortunately for them definitely definitely I think you just really like set it head on um, just the major challenges that exist with like trying to do community service work and public service work and yeah I hope I hope these lessons will be helpful for anyone who's looking to you know start their own venture or get into this work thank you so much yeah I, I hope so too and and moving on I know we have a lot of our listeners who are high school students or maybe just starting the beginning of college and I would love to ask you you know if you have any advice for them or if there's anything that you would have told your younger self maybe when you were a high school student or even just starting off college yeah oh, I love I love reflecting back <laughs> on my high school self I think um, I think when you like start college, I think there's so many expectations that you have to have your whole life figured out, that you need to know what you're majoring in, that you need to know what job you're going to have, your internships, all of that. And while I definitely am a planner myself and I definitely like to have um, some kind of pathway or vision for what I want to do in the future, I think you just have to be so open to change. Um, I think for me, again, I kind of came in, I thought I was going to do like economics and business and was very much like only looking at that. Um, But then when I let myself actually take classes that were in other areas, I just naturally found myself enjoying work in some other areas, public policy, Africana. Um, And I was like, okay, I'm going to lean into what I'm good at, what I'm enjoying, um, because the work feels easier to me because I enjoy it more. I'm more passionate about it. Um, And I think that has led me to amazing things. Um, And so I think it's really about leaning into what you're passionate about, even though it might not be traditional, even though it may not be what your parents want. Ultimately, I think you have to follow your heart. And when you follow your heart, I think you're just going to be so much happier, especially if, you know, you're in a rigorous course load, you're doing a million other things and want to like really have jam-packed days, you know, at the end of the day, when you sit down to do your homework, you want to enjoy it. You want to feel like 
you know, there's a purpose um, to what you're doing. And I think that's really important. And that's not to say that, you know, you're not going to have hard classes here and there, like they're naturally going to arise, I'm sure, no matter what you major in. Um, but definitely try to lean into your passions, because I think that will just make your college experience a bit better. <laughs> um, so that's one thing I will say. And I wish that I had given myself some of that grace, because I battled for a long time with thinking I had to kind of do a more traditional route. Um, but when I really just leaned into what I wanted to do, I feel like so many opportunities just came before me. And a lot of the things that I wanted to do internship wise that I thought I needed a specific major for, I ended up not needing um, that major to accomplish them. So I'm just really happy that, you know, I just decided to just kind of, again, like just do what I want to do. And of course I had a plan and, um, you know, I, I had different ways to still accomplish my overall goals, but just really leaned into who I am and what I want to do. I'm so glad to hear that. And it really amazing advice. Like I, I also wish I would have given myself that grace. I, I think from the very beginning, I was really focused on what my community or what my family wanted of me and maybe just having these preconceived notions coming into college that are not necessarily true. And it's it's really up to you to be proactive and to search for things that excite you and that bring you so much passion and joy. So I, I couldn't agree more with you know your advice. And I, I think it's very well said and well articulated. And this, this next question is really more in regards to what education means to you. I, I would love to hear more about um, what higher education means to you and maybe how it has impacted your life so far. Sure. So I think, you know, just since I was really young, education has always meant a lot to me. Um, my grandma was um, an educator. And so I think just growing up, that was just always very stressed in my household. I think also for me, edu education has always been something that could be an equalizer, something that could definitely impact and like uplift my family. And so I think for me, it was always really important to me that I got an education so I would be able to have opportunities and do things that like I traditionally would not be able to do. Um, so I always saw it as being the key to open a lot more for myself, a lot more for my family. And I think that's why I've always taken it so seriously. Um, I think specifically in terms of higher education, I think it's been really impactful just in the sense that now that I you know, went through high school and have like the basic skills and things, now I could really spend a lot of time educating myself on a certain topic or certain interest that is going to drive my future and drive what I want to do. So a lot of the reasons why I'm doing public policy and Africana studies is because eventually I want to be a lawyer and get into civil rights and criminal justice law. And so I really see a lot of the things that I'm doing um, within higher education as preparing me to get to that point. Um, preparing me for law school, preparing me to be somebody who can represent people later on. Um, and so in that sense, I, I guess I more so see edu higher education as a way to now give back a lot of what's been given to me. Um, so yeah, I guess that's definitely what I would what I would say in terms of what higher education means to me. I love that. I, I really love that um, aspect and, and what you just brought um, and what you just said. I, I think that's just amazing. And that really is kind of the, the most significant thing about higher education is that you're able to contribute back to this world and really help out your community. And that's, I think that's something that people don't necessarily recognize because in the short, short term, it might not be easier, you know, easiest to see, but ultimately that's what 
what you're doing and and it is an investment and you are just making a difference with this world and and yeah very well well said i i love that and i guess my my last question to you and i i know this has been such an incredible conversation so far so i just want to thank you again um and maybe if you could speak about a message that you would love to leave the listeners with yeah i mean first of all thank you so much for having me on i think this conversation was incredible and i just really appreciate you for opening up this space um the other episodes are also so incredible so i encourage everyone to go listen to them but yes thank you so much for providing this space um i think i started to touch on this a bit but i think the message that i just want to leave listeners with um is to definitely just give back the resources that have been extended to you and again those might not be the same exact resources that you were given but i think it's really important that we just have this culture of really doing what you can to uplift people who are trying to get to where you're at um i definitely would not be where i am now if there were not older black women older um you know alumni from brown who guided me so much during my freshman and sophomore year, whether that was like thinking about internships, thinking about classes, thinking about concentrations, they provided me so much advice. And now I, you know, seek to do that for other people who are younger than me. Um, You know, other girls from my high school who are now at Brown, like that is what I'm trying to do, trying to provide that support, trying to provide that care. Um, I think that is really important that we, you know, really have it be cyclical where you have people who are constantly giving um, back. And, you know, I think in the long run, I think it'll always come back to help you. Um, And I think it's just really important that that is something we do as a community. I think um, just knowledge and advice and intellect, that is like a sort of a type of capital that I think is really important, even though it's not necessarily like monetary, it holds so much significance and so much weight. And I think especially for communities of color, low income communities of color, it's really important that we use that knowledge that we've gained to really help each other. Um, I think that's one of the most important things. And I really, really encourage everyone to do that, even if it's one person. Um, And you don't have to be super close to them, but even if it's one person that you're helping that you have a coffee chat with for 30 minutes and tell them about how you applied to X internship, like that can do so much for somebody. And that could be really important. I think it's really important that you make time to to do that. Thank you so much, Kim. I, I, um, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like, I, I think that should be a law of life, honestly. Yeah, just giving back and- Right, and the constitution. That, yeah, <laughs> honestly, yeah. And, and just doing your part, because at the end of the day, like we are making such a huge difference and it might just be a small act of kindness, but that small act goes a very long way. And yeah, and I, I just want to thank you again for being on the show and for being a part of this episode. This has been a really great conversation and I hope all of our listeners are able to take some knowledge with them and and I hope you guys have gained um, a lot from this episode and I I wish you guys all of the best thank you thank you (laughs) that concludes today's episode of the empower you podcast thank you so much for listening and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode